Wow, that's really loud. Yeah, thanks. Took the restrictor plate off, give the red dragon a little more juice. But uh, let's keep that on the down low. It's not exactly street legal. Welcome to the Fast Brackets Podcast, where we highlight the cars and stars of top sportsmen and top dragster drag racing. I am your host, Rex Simmermaker, coming to you from the heart of Indianapolis, the racing capital of the world. Welcome to the show. Um, Guys, girls, today is episode number 24. It is the last week of September, and we are taking the restrictor plate off today. Um, It has been so much fun getting feedback from everyone, and uh, I need to break that down to you right now. Uh, Just so you know, you can always message the show on the Facebook page, The Fast Brackets Podcast, or the Twitter account at Fast Brackets, or hit up the email at FastBrackets at Outlook.com. Um, and some of the feedback was a little rough last week. Um, uh, the Prius drivers in general were not happy um, about last week's opener. Um, one felt the need to tell me why a 76-horsepower turd Getting 47 miles per gallon is some great achievement. Um, That person made mention that they didn't have to refuel in between rounds. Um, I get it. That is a dig on me somehow. Um, You know, and then another one got in and told me that the titanium dragster sounded like a well-thought-out plan and that I should not tease him. So my apologies there. I, I would say that was the negative, if anything, feedback, Uh, but most of the feedback goes like this. Uh, Some of you like to listen when you work out. It gets you through that grind that we all need to do to get our bodies better so we can perform at the highest level, and this podcast helps you get through that effort. Um, Some of you said, hey, I've got a lot of podcasts on my listen list, but this podcast has bumped some of those at the bottom and is on my regular rotation now. That is nice. I appreciate the kind words. And then there was this. Um, Rex, thanks so much for doing the Fast Brackets podcast and highlighting the classes that I love so much. Because I know that each Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern, I will get a new episode. This show is a lot like being in a marriage. I think about it every day, but I only get it once a week. So listen up right now. If you wondered where the line was, that was it. That is exactly where the line is. Do not take one more step. This isn't necessarily a family show, but there are kids that idolize those drivers and are looking up to them. So let's keep it clean. Um, I'm not about to start banning listeners, uh, but that is the line. Um, With that being said, um, I'm going to get right at it today. You can hit me up, like I said, on the Twitter page or the Facebook page, but keep it racing related. 
hit me up on the hot topics of our classes. Uh, drag racing in general, not your marital issues. Anybody who knows me knows that I'll never have a second career as a marriage counselor. Uh, just hit that Facebook page. You can get your Fast Brackets Nation gear that way. Um, the T-shirts and decals are getting best appearing awards by everyone who orders. Um, and don't wait and try to give this as a Christmas gift. There is a limited run. Order yours now. So it's time. Do what you do uh, and you listen to this. Do whatever it is that gets you in the mood, gives you time to listen. Mow the yard. Make your commute, clean the shop, load into the rig to head to the track, but essentially get your helmet on, get strapped in, because here we go. All right, let's make a pass. Let's get them hot. Let's put it in the water box, heat up those tires. And um, I talked about uh, this briefly before, and I'll hit it again when we get out of the groove later. Um, but Let's talk about the potential for high-dollar top sportsmen and top dragster racing. Um, a couple things come to mind. Um, first of all, the dollars that these you guys and girls have wrapped up into your rigs um, and just to be able to compete um, with your operations, just even getting to and from the events um, would seem on the surface to make it more beneficial to run for high dollars. Um, you know, in, um, for example here, this entry, the weekend entry fee for the fall fling was $1,500 and they ran for a half a million. Now they had to win 10 rounds for that. Um, and our classes certainly would only go six rounds max. Um, but adding into it that there is potentially starting next year a tv market for bracket classes um if that's the case wouldn't people be more inclined not less to watch uh top dragster and top sportsman as opposed to 640 door cars and 460 dragsters um it would seem to make sense um to me from the viewer standpoint and from an operational standpoint there are a lot of business owners out there that are doing the ROI on these things. Does it make sense for a promoter to try a high dollar event? And I know there was the shakedown and that's 7,500 and, you know, um, West Buck took it to the mountain and ran for 10 grand, but I'm talking somewhere North of 50 grand to win having a 1500 a $2,000 entry fee and racing for 50 grand to the winner. Does that make sense? It starts chipping away at the investment into the rigs, into the engines, into the chassis of these things. And I'm curious, it feels like we are close to being able to pull something like that off as a group. And I want your feedback. I'm, I'm just very curious. Do not be shy. Let me have it. Um, you can you can send those uh, publicly or on the back channel through a DM. But uh, does it make sense to try to win a portion of the expense back that you have in your rig? Um, I think it does. I want to hear what you have to say. Okay, let's put it in the beams presented by thisisbracketracing.com. Our guest today 
is the 2010 Humboldt County track champion. She is the 2017 NHRA Heartland Nationals event winner at Topeka, Kansas. She is the driver of the Arnold Motor Supply top dragster. She's 28 years old from Denver, Iowa. Welcome to the show, Afton Swanson. Afton, how are you today? Um, I'm good. Thanks, Rex. But I got to correct you, the um, Humboldt points champion. I, I'm a little bit older. That was actually in 2002. Oh. So, <laughs> yeah, that was the Junior Dragster Points Championship in 2002. But it's all good. I know what you meant. Well, as our <laughs> listeners know, I'm never wrong. The only thing that happens is my dad is wrong. So uh, I'll, I will get that corrected. Thank you for doing that. <laughs> um <laughs> Hey, uh, you have a little different story than most in how you got started in drag racing. And uh, why, don't, why don't you take our listeners back and tell us how, how you got going in this thing? Okay. Well, yeah, like you said, my story is quite a bit different from most people my age. Uh, I actually did not grow up in a racing family. So I guess I'm what you'd consider to be a first-generation racer. So I started in the junior drag racing league and how that came about. My dad was a racing fan and he lives eight miles away from Humboldt County dragway. And now it's called North Iowa dragway, the oldest drag strip in Iowa, but he was a fan. He would go and watch racing on Saturday nights. And one year he went up to the Brainerd nationals back when junior dragsters were first making an appearance And he thought, oh, that's neat. If I ever have a kid, maybe they would want to do that someday. Well, then I I came along. I was born. And we we got into junior drag racing. My parents were divorced. So on the weekends that I spent with my dad in the summers, he wanted something for both of us to be able to do together and have fun. And since he lived so close to a drag strip and he remembered that junior dragster he saw in Brainerd, he thought that junior drag racing would be the perfect fit for us. So when I was nine years old, we we got into juniors and uh, raced, did that for seven years. And I don't think my dad realized how obsessed I would become with racing. I didn't think he probably didn't realize how big of a part of my life it would be. So when I got to be 16, I wanted to go into big cars so bad. And it was all I could think about. I wanted to keep on racing. And um, looking back now, I understand we really didn't have the means to do that. But my dad, he he worked really hard. He sold my junior dragster, scraped together some money and parts. And it took a year and a half, but we got a 90s model hardtail car and a 540 naturally aspirated big block Chevy. And we finally did get on track a year and a half later. And I was running um, 780s in the quarter mile, and I just thought that was the greatest thing in the world, and I loved it. And we weren't able to race all the time, but we raced as much as we could with what we had. And my dad worked so hard to to try to get us on track as much as we possibly could and give me the opportunities to go racing, and that really meant a lot. And we raced in the Super Pro category for a few years, and... We ended up, we did upgrade to a new-to-us suspended car and just kind of worked our way through it, picked away at it, upgraded our program just as much as our budget would allow over the years. 
And my dad and I did that for another couple years. But then when I was in high school, my dad told me, he said, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be able to do this forever. I mean, you're you're going to have to go to college and you're going to have to get a good job because I can't continue to do this. So I, I did what he wanted. I went to college and I, I got a full-time job and it was 2013. And my dad said, okay, this is the last year that we're going to do this. I am going to retire from farming and racing and I'm, I'm going to be 70 years old this winter and I, it's time for me to retire. And if you want to continue to do this, you have to take the reins and you have to find a way to do it yourself. So I went to college, got my full-time job. I married Joe that year. And sure enough, after harvest 2013, my dad called me up and he said, okay, get the car. It's, it's on you now. So I was 22 at the time and just taking the reins of, my the racing operation and I had no clue what I was getting myself into or what the future was going to hold, but I decided to figure it out. So that's what we did. Yeah. And so when Joe and I got the car over the winter, um, I was trying to figure out, well, what are we going to do the next year? And other than racing, my passion is traveling. So I thought, well, it'd be really awesome to be able to travel and race at, at new tracks that I've never experienced before. And I got to look in, into the NHRA series, the Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series, and I saw a class called Top Dragster that was bracket racing. And that's the world that I had come from. I had bracket raced in juniors and then in super pro. So I thought, well, okay, maybe we'll try that. So um, I actually ran my super pro car in Top Dragster that first year. We actually we had a, a little 871 blower that we we had in that car and we got it down it was going 17s so it was fast enough to qualify back in 2014 and when we first showed up to the races I, I just I know what everyone was thinking oh that's cute a couple of kids trying to run top dragster you know do their parents know they're here like what, what are they doing so I, mean, I knew that everyone was kind of looking at us funny showing up there with no knowledge or experience of what we were getting ourselves into, but we actually ended up going to the finals and I runnered up at my second division race ever. And that kind of raised a few eyebrows and people were kind of curious, like, Oh, who, who are those kids? And then we kept showing up to the races for the rest of the year. And we kept going rounds. And eventually at the end of the year, I ended up finishing fifth place in the division my first year ever running top dragster. So that's when people were kind of like, okay, maybe these kids do know what they're doing. Maybe we should pay a little bit more attention to them. They're, they're going to run this category. So at that point, we were just really happy with what had happened. And we had done good that year. But we realized that, I mean, I was running a super pro car in top dragster. And we were always one of the slowest cars you know, barely qualifying, like 28th, 30th, you know, not really safely qualifying. So we realized that if we were actually going to do this top dragster thing, that we needed to invest in it and make some decisions. So that winter, I sold my suspended car and I ordered my new 2015 Spitzer car. And that's the car that I have now. So we decided that we were going to go 100% all in on this top dragster thing. So then um, got the 2015 car. We loved it. 
um, still had the 871 blower, but we were learning. Every time we go to the track, we would learn and improve the program and got down to running 650s. So we went over to Division Three. We wanted to expand and go to new places because I like to travel. And, again, we ran into the situation where we were barely qualifying at 650s, you know, 28, 30s, 31, 32. And we qualified everywhere, but we knew that, okay, well, this isn't going to be safe. Next year we probably won't qualify going 650s. So then the following winter, going into 2016, we upgraded to a 1471 blower. And we worked our way up from there, constantly learning and making a few mistakes along the way. But uh, we eventually, over the years, we, we hit all the marks. We went, you know, 640s, 630s, 20s. And eventually we got down into the 60s, back when you could run 60s. And ran, you know, 60s last couple years. And then this year run 16s with the new rule. So it, it's pretty crazy that a couple years ago, you know, I was running a super pro car in this category, and now we're running, you know, six O's and teams at national events. It's just crazy to think what, what has happened in the last couple of years. It's incredibly uh, impressive, and uh, thank you for taking us through that from your start all the way to uh, your super bad uh, car right now. Um, but you had a little bit of an issue early this season, didn't you, with that car? Yeah, so, uh, well, we started the season. We actually signed the biggest sponsorship that we, we've ever had, and that's with Arnold Motor Supply. And we also had BTE transmissions and torque converters come on in a big way and support us this year. So we started the season on a high note, and we were feeling really good. But then two races into the season, we ended up having a, a pretty bad situation at the Division Five race in Denver. Um, we had a bolt come loose from my hood scoop tray, and it went through the blower at wide open throttle. And it completely destroyed the supercharger and caused the wool damage to the motor as well. So we had just signed. We had two big sponsors come on, and we had just barely started the year, and we had a catastrophic break. So we were just absolutely devastated, had no clue what we were going to do, and... Um, well, we, we had to make some decisions. So uh, my husband, Joe, uh, we, we got married in 2013. And it's interesting because he's also a first-generation racer. No one in his family races either. He actually started racing motorcycles at Humboldt, where I started. And he had bought a drag bike when we were together and was running drag bikes for a few years. But then he decided that he wanted to get on four wheels. So he sold the drag bike, and we were in the process of building a super comp car for him. And this has been in the works for five years. And we had a car for him. We had a brand new 434 small block that wasn't quite finished yet. We were hoping to be on track this year with him. But after we had that catastrophic break in Denver, we had to get back on track to fulfill our promises to our new sponsors. So we made the decision to sell Joe's super comp car and his motor. And we took that money and we bought a new-to-us supercharger and paid to fix the motor so we could get my car back on track again. So it was kind of a emotional time, but we had to do what we had to do. I mean, I didn't want to ruin a big opportunity with our sponsors. So we made that decision, and 
I think it was the right decision because our sponsors have been great to us this year. And hopefully by making that decision, they'll agree to come back on for 2020 and hopefully beyond. Yeah, that's a that's a really great story. And obviously we're going to go ahead and let Joe have husband of the year, uh, the award <laughs> right now, because that is – that's uh that's really great. But you did exactly what your sponsors um, expected of you, um, and uh, you know that that's uh, how this thing rolls sometimes. But uh, nicely done for getting it back out there. And then of course you go to the U.S. Nationals, um, attempting to run for the the uh, biggest race of your career of of all of our you know anybody's career really. That up to that point that was the biggest race going. And we had some issues with uh, the the timing there. Um, you want to talk a little bit about uh, your NHRA U.S. national experience? And we don't have to rehash that. I mean, it um, totally, but uh, just tell our listeners how, you know, what you saw from your vantage point. Yeah, so at first we weren't planning to go to the U.S. nationals. Um, I only had seven grade points, so I wasn't able to get in. So we didn't think we were even going until – Sunday night before the U.S. Nationals, a spot finally opened up, first spot in two months to open up, and I happened to be online at the exact right moment, and we caught it, and I got in, and we were ecstatic. We couldn't believe we were actually getting to go to the U.S. Nationals, so we threw everything in the motorhome and trailer and took off for Indy, and everyone knows, sat around in the rain, didn't get to run for two days, finally got to run Monday morning, and I'm sure everyone listening to this podcast has probably seen nhra.tv and our video that we shared on our page some very weird situation happened and i'm sitting on the starting line and i haven't even hit the gas yet and all of a sudden my red light comes on and i haven't even moved and i'm like what okay this is messed up and so I mean, we requested a rerun because we knew that there had been timing system issues, and NHRA confirmed that. They had multiple reruns in other categories. And I said, okay, well, this was another one of those deals. And I thought it was pretty obvious that this was another one of those deals. So we went up to the tower, and they basically blew us off and, you know, said, well, too bad, the run stands. So we packed up our stuff and went home. And... Um, after the U.S. Nationals, I sent an email to NHRA and attached the video, and I asked for an explanation and the reason why my rerun wasn't granted. And, you know, the, the typical, you know, red tape and nobody wanting to give an answer. And, yeah, still, they finally uh, emailed me back and said, there was not enough evidence to justify a rerun. Okay, so I asked what evidence was provided to grant reruns in the super gas category because there are multiple reruns in that category. And I sent that email eight days ago and still haven't got a response. So I'm assuming they're, they're shoving it under the rug and blowing me off again, which is not surprising, but still really frustrating that, you know, the biggest race of our career and we didn't even get a fair shot. And yeah, but thankfully our, our sponsors understand what happened and they feel bad for us. I just wish we could have at least given them, you know, a run, but it is what it is. Yeah, that's incredibly frustrating. But uh, here on the Fast Brackets podcast, we absolutely believe in karma. And, um, you know, that hard work will will get you back and give you another opportunity. So 
Um, you know, you were so fantastic today, um, Afton. Uh, appreciate you, Rob. We're going to tag her. We're going to go ahead and give her the podcast certification. So that means, Afton, you can come back on any time and, uh, you know, give us updates um, maybe, um, you know, next year or what's next for you guys and your, and your uh, racing team. Well, that's great. Thanks. Hopefully I can come back on after a nice win. <laughs> but um, for 2020, uh, the schedules haven't been released yet, so I'm not exactly sure where we're going to go. But I think it's safe to say that we're going to explore options outside of NHRA. Uh, we're going to hit up some Midwest Pro Mod for sure. We did an event with them earlier in the year, and it was a pretty cool deal. So definitely some Midwest Pro Mod. Um, PDRA, if they come a little bit farther west, like if they go to Dragway 42 again, we might check that out. And maybe an SFG race, they've been coming towards the Midwest, so we might hit one of those. And a race on my bucket list, I want to go to the Drag Illustrated World Series of Pro Mod for the 10 grand to win. That was a race I wanted to go to this year, but we decided to go the NHRA route instead that weekend. But next year, I, I want to go all in on the World Series of Mod. That's awesome. And um, we will be tracking you and uh, and wishing you well as you go along. And um, come back and tell us how it goes uh, when you make it there to the World Series Pro Mod or any of those events next year. Guys, girls, Thank that you. was Thank Afton you. Swanson. Um, nicely done. Um, thanks again, Afton, and good luck the rest of the year. Today's half-track report is brought to you, as always, by Ed Harney at DragRaceLawyer.com. You know by now that if you need someone you can trust, someone who is like you, a drag racer, and has the legal expertise you need to tune your high-horsepower life, you have to go to DragRaceLawyer.com and talk to Ed. All right, let's get to it. Uh, starting with the NHRA National Open, the JEG Sports Nationals. That was in Columbus, Ohio. Um, on the top sportsman side, and now remember, this event is a national event, so it counts for the national points um, that way. So the on the top sportsman side, your number one qualifier, a perennial number one qualifier, Lester Johnson from Cynthiana, Kentucky, in his beautiful 55 Bel Air. He goes 612 with a one at 230 mile, 230 miles an hour. Um, that was always impressive out of Lester. Um, there were 34 cars there, so the bump spot was 712. Um, that, that's nice. That's a that's a good event there for those guys. Um, and the winner. Ultimately, was Scott Wasco over Sandy Wilkins. Um, you know he's he's made a good move in D two. Um, Sandy has um, Scott though was ten take double oh four for his first national event win. Congrats to Scott Wasco there getting the win at the Jeg Sports Nationals on the top dragster side. The number one qualifier we've had him on the show as well. Al Peevler from only Indiana or Illinois. Um, he goes 611 with a one at 227 miles an hour. There were 23 dragsters there, so the, the bump spot was not quite as impressive as what we've seen it earlier this year. But your winner was Danny Nelson over David Maggard. Now, Danny uh, is B double O, take double O at 215 miles an hour. Um, he is double O one at 
at the line. He takes 006. And if you're keeping track here, Danny has won three out of the last four races and finished uh, with a semifinal event uh, in the other one. Um, he is killing it right now. By my count, that is 18 out of his last 19 uh, round wins. So the last 19 times he's staged up, he has seen the win light. It's in, it's impressive. I mean, it's it's uh, truthfully, I don't know that we've seen a run quite like this in in a long time. Luke Bogaki went, I think it was 27 rounds in a row in Super Comp. Um, but Danny getting the win at Bowling Green, then runner-upping in Indy at the U.S. Nationals, then winning Norwalk, then coming back and winning Columbus. Um, guys, that run puts him number one in the national points standings. Overall, good guy. Been doing a long time by himself, and he is number one right now in top dragster. So congrats to Danny Nelson. Um, all right, let's go to the Division Five event in Great Bend, Kansas. Um, your number one qualifier on the top sportsman side was Phil Unruh. He's in his 18 Corvette. He goes 640 with a three at 221 miles an hour. There were 28 cars there. Um, so Phil gets that Corvette to the final, um, but the guy who is waiting there for him is Larry Deemers, um, as you might remember, was the very first U.S. National Top Sportsman winner. So Larry is hot as well. Um, it's a double breakout final. Larry gets the win, and he keeps his hot streak alive after winning the big go. Whew, both those guys um, killing it right now. Um, on the top dragster side, your number one qualifier in Great Bend was Bill Swan. Um, he goes 624 with an 8 at 223 miles an hour. There were 20 cars there. Um, and your winner was Connor pulling over Victoria Johnson. Uh, Connor is first off the line and wins his first Wally as Victoria. Looks looks like has some problems down track, so congrats to Connor pulling for getting the top dragster win at Great Bend. Um, all right, let's talk a little bit about the divisional points leaders. Um, so in Division Three, let's talk about that this week. We've covered Division One, we've covered Division Two. It is time to cover Division Three this week. Um, so they there are six events in this division. Five have been completed so far. There is one remaining divisional event that is in uh, Gateway or er, Worldwide Motorsports uh, Technology park raceway something other it's in st louis that is october uh four through six in two weeks um and on the top or top sportsman side um throughout division three there have been 72 competitors the top five look like this uh curtis frederick sits at number one he has 314 points in his claim seven events so far um scott wasco um is number two um, he's got 292 points. Um, he's and claimed six events. You know, so um, we know um, that Scott is you know coming off that win at the National Open and is making a run as well. But right behind him is Jerry Albert. He's got 282 points, and then um, in fourth place is Lester Johnson uh, at 259 points. Um, so this, you know. Curtis Frederick sits at top, 
um, num- number one, and he's got a little bit of a lead. Uh, but don't count out Scott Wasco, Jerry Alberts, or Lester Johnson. And then sitting at the number five spot, Michael Sowards, 239 points, and has claimed five events. So um, I'm not saying it's wide open, but it is very competitive um, at the top, and Gateway will be fun to watch on the top sportsman side. Um, On the top dragster side, so far there have been 56 competitors lined up uh, to try to – get this divisional crown um and and i'm a little surprised it's only 56 i'm guessing it is because it is so fast um you know typically we're seeing around 70 per division um but uh but it is so fast you have to bring the big guns to to even qualify on the top sport or top dragster side in division three um so your number one points leader right now is mike coughlin he's got 344 points uh claims six six events thus far number two jb swashwag is is sitting second with 303 points so um you know he's 41 points away from mike um right behind him with 302 points is john biagi but but john it appears is claimed out at this point so uh jb certainly would have a run at it and um at mike uh, given that Mike is 344, JB is 303. Um, then you've got Danny Nelson, who is just on a tear. He's got 250 points. Um, and it, that might seem strange, uh, but remember, Columbus was a national event, um, as was Norwalk. So uh, he, you know, if he's going to make a run in the divisional, he's got some work to do there. Uh, but if anybody can do it right now, I would put money on Danny Nelson. And then number five spot is Danny Waddell Jr. He's got 238 points. Um, so that top five, all competitors and guys that can make a run, and it, it should be really interesting to see how it shakes out in St. Louis in two weeks. Uh, next week, we will give you highlights and results of the NHRA national event in St. Louis. They they will compete in top sportsmen there. Um, we will go to the Division II event in Galat, um, and then we will continue to get you caught up on all the point standings, including NHRA Division Four. Whoa! Let's get out of the groove here for just a minute. Um, stop me if you've heard this before a bracket race that gives a half a mil to the winner. Uh, That happened again over the weekend, the fall fling in Bristol, uh, Tennessee. It was a half a million dollars, and Hunter Patton gets the win. Um, He he lines up against uh, Matt Dadas. Uh, Matt goes Roxanne and puts the red light on. Um, in the final, that's got to be hurtful. Uh, Hunter saw it, though, and he didn't even get to the finish line. He stopped at the 330, threw that thing in reverse, and backed up to start the celebration. So good for Hunter Patton. Congrats, my man. That is a nice night at the track. Um, hey, And let me say this. Um, I, I am a banker by trade. Um, I work with high net worth players every day. Um, but you know, that amount of money, even with the split, uh, will move the needle for you financially and in life if handled correctly. So, uh, 
Hunter, get at me if you don't know exactly what to do with your newfound cash. Um, but, you know, it's going to be bigger and better next year. Uh, by my count, there are four different races next year that are going to advertise that the winner will get a cool mill after turning on that wind light, uh, the last one of the night. So in my opinion, we are in the golden age of drag racing for what we do. Guys, girls, enjoy. All right. As we hit the mile per hour cone, I'm going to bring in a guy I have known for a couple of years, a dude who has helped me um, straighten out a race pack issue I had at one time. What he told me was that I had one of the original race packs and that I should see if the Smithsonian needed it for historic preservation. Um, he is the owner and head man at Hyperactive Performance Solutions. He is a pro mod and drag radial tuner and just overall smart and good dude. Welcome to the show, Joe Opolowski from Hyperactive Performance Solutions. Joe, how are you today? I'm great. How are you? Excellent. Excellent. Thanks so much for coming on. Um, we, we, um, before we really dig into this on the tech side that you were so good at, um, why don't you take our listeners back and, and walk them through how you got started in this sport and, um, you know, give them a little background here. Uh, I mean, basically high school kid, uh, drag racing with my friends and my friends had an engine builder, um, who moved to our area from the, you know, I'm about an hour outside the city of Chicago. He lived closer to the city. And as he moved out, uh, into the country, as we like to call it, um, actually needed somebody to go to a race with him. Uh, they were, he was headed to Huntsville for an NMCA race back in 99. And, uh, one of driving down there with him, hung out, <laughs> learned a bunch and kind of from there, developed a, a friendship and uh, his name is Chuck Samuel. He was the owner of Fast Times Motorworks or, or partner in Fast Times Motorworks. And um, when he did his Pro Street S10 pickup truck back in 99, I helped him a little bit. And then uh, him and I raced with Kevin Marsh uh, in all the fun Ford and NMRA Pro 50 stuff at World Ford Challenge and all that. So started scraping wheel tubs and kind of moved forward from there. Um, Kind of what got my start was the the concept of the technology and in the EFI and the data system. So him and I did really well because he was an engine builder and I was the electronics guy and could kind of muddle my way through everything. So um, it's been about half my life now. <laughs> right. So. Right. Well, when you say muddle through, um, those of us that have worked with you know that you are highly skilled on the electronic side. Um, and, and you do that on a daily day uh, basis with hyperactive. Um, do you want to talk us through kind of what your daily operation looks like and who some of your clients are today? Um, day to day is never two days or, you know, two days are never the same. <laughs> right. Um, whether we're, you know, at the racetrack or traveling to a racetrack, um, we have a 5,000 horsepower mainline hub dyno here. I was the second person in the country to have one. Um, so we could be on the dyno. We might wind up on the dyno in a day or two, actually, with like a, a Copo deal. Um, so it varies everything from streetcars to pro mod um, and anything in between. 
um, is what we do with, you know, a focus or an emphasis on the EFI and the data side of things. So we, uh, one of the largest racetrack distributors in the world, um, sell most major EFI systems from Holly, Haltech, FuelTech, MoTech, Mtron. I'm sure there's one or two I'm probably missing there. Uh, Raceback data systems, MoTech data systems, AIM, Autometer, et cetera. So yeah. kind of try to uh, keep abreast of everything going on, whether it's, you know, answering emails. Like this morning I came back, I was at NMCA over the weekend where I saw you there. Uh, came back to answering phone calls and emails and head out tonight to go test with a ProMod customer tomorrow. So <laughs> never a dull moment. Right. Exciting times. Um, yeah, you, you've really um, gotten involved with the ProMod side of things, and, and I'm guessing the uh, the drag radial side as well. And you're talking about a dyno that, you know, the hub dyno now that can register up to 5,000 horsepower. I mean, that is amazing stuff, and, um, you know, it seems like, you know, to me, anything above, you know, 2,500 seems just crazy, but, uh, you know, you're really digging in, uh, trying to get 4,000-plus up there. Is that what you're mostly seeing from your Pro Mod guys right now? Um, it depends. You know, the legal stuff, you know, ranges, you know, let's say a legal car, uh, NHRA-style cars probably somewhere around 3,000, and then, you know, some of the outlaw stuff right over the world. Uh, we had Mark Woodruff's Corvette on the dyno, which we weren't really, like, pushing super hard. It made 4,300. So <laughs> I believe a lot of those right over the world cars at the crankshaft make about 6,000 um, because I know, you know, they had Andrew Alipa's car on the dyno at Fuel Tech. It made, like, 5,200. So uh, we're doing stupid things with those. But, you know, I bought, you know, we did, we invested in, in the dyno, because you you know it doesn't matter if it's a, a thousand horsepower street car or you know a radio versus the world car you wind up going to the racetrack and wasting two days trying to find an ignition miss or a fuel system problem or something of that nature where you know being in a, a closed environment you can see things uh, last week I had a actually a top sportsman um, mechanical blown car on the dyno and it had fuel leaks. Well, if you were at the racetrack with the front end on and and everything else, it would probably burn the car to the ground. So being able to see it, being able to put cameras on it and kind of try to, you know, fix the problem. And, he, you know, he left here knowing what he had to go address and what he had to fix is really why we have it as much as it is for power development or converter development or any of that. I mean, you're not seeing nothing is going slower these days, you know, whether it's pro mod or radial or you know we do some uh, a fair amount of top sportsman top dragster stuff that's actually how i met uh craig sullivan who that's who i was with at nmca indy this weekend was he had his top dragster car we converted it to uh, efi when it was a nitrous deal and we've kind of progressed with him since um do some stuff with scog and dickey with their efi stuff on uh, jim thorpe's top sportsman car and um it's a lot of fun yeah, and I think we're seeing that more and more, right? I mean, certainly carburetors have their place and are a proven commodity, but more and more people are going to the fuel injection, and it seems it can seem like voodoo at the beginning, right? And that's where you can clarify some things, especially if you're putting it on the dyno? Absolutely. Um, you know, a carburetor works. A carburetor's 100-year-old technology. You're not going to say, you know, they, they function but as you get into 
boosted stuff, nitrous stuff, things of that nature is where the additional capability really come into play, um, as well as the additional, additional diagnostics, because you have the ability to data log even just what the EFI is doing besides you know, chassis stuff with a race pack or something of that nature. You have the ability to look at all these things to say, hey, this could be why I have a problem. Oh, look, my fuel pressure did this. Um, my computer said the ignition timing was supposed to do this, and et cetera. So it, it allows us to do more kind of with less, but right. um, some people think it's voodoo. <laughs> kind of what we do, so I guess we remove some. We we do our best to remove the voodoo. Sure. Well, you did it for me, and uh, I certainly appreciated it. And and I know you've done it for Craig Sullivan and and uh, you know the other guys as well. I mean, it keeps you hopping. And you know, I've always thought that uh, that if you can get on the dyno, it it saves you so much. Not only just hauling to the track and doing that, but you can. Um, really save yourself a bunch of time as well. And you're doing both, right? You're, you've got the dyno back at the shop, but then you're also going to the track with clients and and making changes at the track to try to help tune to the conditions as well? Absolutely. I mean, even like that, you know, it's a diagnostic thing. Um, you know, I'm headed out tomorrow to go test with a, a team that they've converted, you know, a lot of like a current trend right now is to run a mechanical blown setup, but you might use um, an EFI system to control the fuel timers, uh, to control the ignition, coil unplug, things of that nature. So what I'll, you know, what I'm headed to do is essentially offer support to their team so they get, can get up to speed quickly on how to operate their equipment. Um, so it's still a mechanical blown, just like Craig's is it's a mechanical blown screw blower, but it does use, um, a fuel tech EFI system to control the fuel timers mechanically, as well as all the ignition system and stuff. Yeah, interesting, interesting. So you're seeing that more and more, um, both um, on the top sportsman, top dragster side, and the pro mod stuff. Absolutely, I think uh, more of the top sportsman stuff with like the pro charger vortex style blowers are trending to complete EFI um, using fuel injectors and things of that nature. But a lot of the roots and screw style blowers are still, they're happy with their mechanical. Right. Once it works, it kind of works. There's, you know, we've, I ran, you know, Craig's car last year was a, a root setup and it was 100% EFI. Oh. Um, and it ran and it ran very well. When he converted to the screw, they decided to begin it on mechanical and it's staying, you know, there as of now and kind of don't know. It does everything we need it to do. We could probably gain a little bit, but we've gained a bunch in, in the power management side of it by using uh, different electronics and getting rid of the mag and, and some of the stuff associated with that. Yeah, well, he made huge gains um, over this weekend, I know. So, um, you know, I'm guessing that, uh, you know, he's extremely happy with that and that, you know, the he, the control over that stuff is just is so amazing, I think. I mean, the carburetor obviously takes what it wants, but – you can uh, really control um, all these things when we go to the EFI stuff. And I just think it's a really neat uh, progression for our classes and, you know, where we ultimately get to um, with these things and what they're running now in terms of speed. Absolutely. And that stuff. Um, yeah. So let me ask you this then. So you're, you know, you're seeing that more and more, um, you know, like, 
Craig and those guys are running uh, 370s right now, but, I mean, do you see them being able to knock off another 10th for next year and things of that nature? Um, I don't know if it'll go a 10th. You know, we have seen some of the other cars in that class um, go high 60s. I believe it's possible. Um, you know, we he has a new car coming out. Uh, I don't know exactly when it's going to be done, but I I think the potential is there. You know, we changed some hard parts in the car in the past couple weeks, trying some things, and they definitely showed some gains. So we're not done. Um, Don't give up without a fight, but there's (laughs) – I don't know about a tenth. Yeah. Well, and obviously the purpose of this show is not to dig into anybody's specific combo, but given the nature of where um, the top sportsman cars are going, I mean, we certainly we've already seen it on the top dragster side. I mean, the the bump for the U.S. Nationals was, you know, 1300s over the minimum dial for 32 cars. That's absolute craziness. Um, My guess is the top sportsman side is the next to really make a huge improvement and when you know Craig was dialed um, again, just using that as an example, Craig um, essentially was running seventy threes, like printing them off over the weekend. So, I mean, to be able to use that on the top sportsman side would seem pretty logical to me, and to be able to push right down on that bump spot. Uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. There's no denying that you know, being you have a six ten cap. I mean you're you're going to start seeing it more and more just like you've seen it with top dragster. I yep. mean, you know, everybody wants to, you know, there's no, I'm not going to tell anybody different. You know, that car does hundred percent have traction control on it, but I, as a racer, you know, in a tuner and everything else, um, as I'm racing, I don't depend on it. So I honestly could have ran, you know, I can run it with or without, so it's not like, oh, my God, it only goes that fast and it's that consistent because, it you know, it has traction control on it. Yeah. Um, so we really didn't use it this weekend because I was just trying to get a handle of what the tire wanted and things of that nature. So, yeah, it's logical to say because in top sports when you can't use those aids. So you're still going to benefit from the EFI and from the ignition controls and power management tools. So, yeah, I, I, I agree. You know, I think it's headed – um, into that realm where you're going to see more and more big power because it's like, you know, they put a 610 cap you know, on the deal. Well, now everybody wants to go 610. Right. <laughs> and it's just going to drive it there, right? It's like you gave me a number, you know, and I know that it because I believe it was six flat before, right? That's right. And I think now it's like, oh, so now you've made the number a little bit slower. Like, I can get there. Yeah. It's not going to cost me an extra 30 grand to get that extra tenth out of it. And it's just driving these guys you know, to work their butts off to do it. And like you say, it was evident um, at Indy in Top Dragster. And I think you're right. I think it's going to become more and more prevalent to to do it and to tighten these fields up. I mean, we were just at NMCA in a pro mod event, 16 cars. It was a 10th. It was from a 72 to an 82 was the bump. Right. And you've seen it in NHRA pro mod. We've seen it at NMCA, Midwest pro mod, Top Dragster. I mean, none of this is getting any easier because people are are getting smarter. It's easier to to make power. It's easier, you know, the racetracks. It's it's a combination of so many things. You know, it's not one. It's you know, guys are learning how to do better prep in the racetrack and wanting to put forth the effort to give us the you know the place to give us the performances and you know 
it's it's all gelling together at the same time. Yeah, no, I I agree 100%. Well, Joe, I appreciate your time here with us today. Um, For our listeners out there, assuming they have data needs or or things that they can clear up on their car, how do they, but what's the best way for them to get a hold of you and your hyperactive group? Uh, You can give us a call at, uh, I don't know, I have a shop number here somewhere. <laughs> um, but you can give us a call, uh, 847-321-1982. Yep. Uh, website is hyperactive.com, hyperactive with a K, um, Facebook, Instagram, all that good jazz. Yep, good We're stuff. We're here to, to help. You know, we have sales guys here, Greg's here, putting orders together and, you know, race pack stuff and EFI stuff and whatever we could do to help. Yeah, everybody's program. Very cool. Um, appreciate uh, your help with me over the years, and also uh, I wish you wish you the best. I know you've got some travel ahead of you, um, and uh, travel safe and good luck with all that. Awesome. Thanks, Rex. Thanks, guys. Yep. Joe ba- Joe <laughs> Apolowski at Hyperactive Performance Solutions. If you need him. All right, let's bring it back in and take the stripe. Guys, girls, that is the show. It is time to pull the shoots on episode number 24. Look up. There it is. We got the wind light. Producer Rob right on cue is playing Gloria. All is right in the world. Hey, thanks so much for our fantastic guests for coming on. Next week, as you know, we will have results. We will have points updates and always the best drivers in tech talk. Um, tell your like-minded fast bracket friends about the show. Continue to get the word out and welcome them to the Fast Brackets Nation. I hope you enjoyed it. Keep the rubber side down and travel safe. for 20 years but uh that dude just compare racing to marriage he did and um i don't know if i like it it's like the where's waldo go back and find it yeah, yeah. listen again <laughs> that's right <laughs>